everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Maker Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are talking about the case of Karen Matthews, who is often labelled as the UK's worst mother. So this case just infuriates me, but all cases do, don't they? But this one in particular really infuriates me because some of the things that Karen did are just unforgivable. This case focuses around the disappearance of Karen's daughter, Shannon Matthews. And this was a very high profile missing child case in the UK back in 2008, which is when it occurred. Shannon went missing not too long after the disappearance of Madeline McCann. And obviously we all know who Madeline McCann is. And the disappearance of Shannon Matthews, whilst it was not on the scale of Madeline McCann, Shannon's disappearance still received a huge amount of news coverage and a lot of interest from the public. People didn't want another Madeline McCann. We wanted to find Shannon Matthews. Everyone rallied round to help with the search. There was a big community search organised. Newspapers were offering large rewards for any information that would help find Shannon. Karen appeared in front of the cameras a lot. But people started to think that the way she was behaving throughout the search of her daughter was just not normal. People started to ask questions about whether there were things that Karen knew that she was not letting on to. And eventually things started to come out that led her to being labelled the worst mother in the UK. And this is definitely one of the more infamous cases from the UK that we are going to be covering today. So let's dive in. So Karen Matthews was born in 1975 and I couldn't find out her exact birthday. And I hate it when this happens because I can't tell you what the person's star sign is. But from articles, I could kind of figure out that she was born somewhere between the 1st of March and the 4th of April. So that means she's either a Pisces or an Aries. And not much is actually known about Karen's childhood. Uh, We do know that she left home at 16 following quite a large fight with her parents, but... We don't know what that fight is about. And she is one of seven siblings. And all I know is that people have reported that Karen's parents were good people. They raised her well. But like I said, she did leave home at the age of 16 and she was estranged from her parents for quite a few years. And I think she's still estranged from her mother to this day. Now, at some point, don't quite know when, but Karen was diagnosed with learning disabilities and she is very emotionally vulnerable. Quite a lot of people throughout my research on this case kept saying how vulnerable she is and kept saying how easily manipulated she was. And throughout most of Karen's life, she did live in Dewsbury in West Yorkshire, which is in the north of England. And this is also where today's case takes place. So at the age of 17, Karen did have her first child and Karen did go on to have seven children in total with five different fathers. And the last child that she had was when she was roughly 30 years old. Now, one of those children was Shannon Matthews, which today's case is about. Shannon was born on the 9th of September 1998 when Karen was 23 years old and Shannon was Karen's third child and Shannon's father was Leon Rose and Karen had one other child with Leon who was Shannon's older brother and that was her only full sibling. However Karen and Leon's relationship broke down after roughly about three years being together in 2001 and Leon Shannon's father moved about 10 miles away to Huddersfield and 
Shannon's only full brother did go and live with his father, like their father, but Shannon stayed with Karen. And I don't know why, I don't know why that decision was made, but Shannon stayed with Karen. Despite the father moving away, Shannon actually did keep quite a good relationship with her dad. And we're moving forward to 2003 now. Karen is currently 28 years old and her, her whole family move house. And this is when they move to the Moorside estate. And at this point in her life, Karen did only have six of her soon to be seven children. So yeah, her and her, it's very complicated because not all of the children actually live with Karen. Only three of her six children are actually living with her. So Karen and her three children move to Moorside. The three other children are living with their fathers. Now the Moorside estate is a council estate and Karen was provided a house by the council because of her low income. And this area is one of the poorest areas in the UK and it does have high levels of unemployment. Now Karen's house was always full. Obviously she had three children but there was just so many people just constantly coming and going it basically like she had an open door policy on her house all of the neighbors would just kind of gather in Karen's house there'd be so many kids running in and out and this is how Karen met Craig Meehan he would just sometimes come over to the house and hang out watch tv which was very normal. A lot of people did this in Karen's house. Now, Craig was 18 at this time. He was 10 years younger than Karen and he just lived locally and he worked in a supermarket. And if you haven't already guessed, they did start dating and their relationship moved so quickly because within three weeks, Craig had actually moved into Karen's house. That's a bit quick if you ask me, <laughs> especially when you've got kids, but um, who am I to judge? Uh, this family. <laughs> And following Craig moving in, Karen actually did fall pregnant very quickly and she had her seventh child. But it was actually later discovered, I don't know who knew at the actual time, but this child wasn't Craig's. It wasn't Craig's biological child. Everyone thought the child was Craig's biological child, but uh, it wasn't. So I don't know who the biological father is of the seventh child, but I just kind of found that interesting because everyone did think that Craig was the father to Karen's seventh child. So Karen's whole mentality basically was more kids equals more money. Karen's main motivation for having seven children was because she would get more money off the government because she was getting benefits every week and every time she had another child that money that she was getting every week was going up. I have a lot to say about that but uh, we'd be here all day. Her child benefits were the main source of her income. They were pretty much the only source of her income. She didn't have a job. She was getting around £300 a week and this increased every single time she had a child. And Karen, like I said, was unemployed. She would just spend her days watching TV, playing video games. But you're probably thinking, oh, well, she has a lot of kids. She's looking after them. And trust me, I would agree with you. However, Karen didn't do this. Karen didn't look after her children. She severely neglected them. In fact, the living conditions in Karen's house were that bad. Her children were put on the at-risk register for the council, which meant that Karen was being constantly monitored, which... <laughs> 
<laughs> and spoiler, this is actually something that really infuriates me because if Karen was being constantly monitored, this case would not have happened. So the council first became aware of Karen and ended up obviously putting her children on the at-risk register was because Karen just kept failing to take her children to medical appointments, but also failing to even get her children to school, which obviously raised red flags. And this is how the council first became aware of Karen. They went out to her house to kind of see what was going on, assess the situation. And they could see that everything was that bad that they ended up placing the children on the at-risk register. So the living conditions, like I said, were absolutely Oh, diabolical. Karen completely neglected her children. Her children rarely got proper meals when they were at home. Their diet literally, and I'm not even joking here, their diet consisted of chocolate, sweets, and crisps. Children obviously love these things and that sounds like a good diet to children and everything but that is not a good diet at all and later on in the case I'm skipping forward a bit here but I just feel like it fits in this place that notes were found in the house that were written in Shannon's handwriting to one of her siblings and the note said do you think we're going to get dinner tonight? No child should have to write that. But if you think that is bad, Karen actually never bought sanitary items for her children either. She never bought any nappies. And she had seven children and she never bought nappies. Instead, she would use plastic bags and use tape. I, I have no words for this woman, I really don't. And you're probably thinking, oh, she's getting all of this money from the council to spend and look after her children, to look after the household. But Karen didn't see it like that, did she? She saw that money as her own and she would spend all of that money on herself. She would buy cigarettes, she would buy alcohol, she would buy pizza for herself, all whilst her children had to go without. And Shannon, I'm sure all of the children, but as you can imagine, Shannon, as would anyone, hated living in these conditions. And Shannon and Karen would always be constantly arguing. Shannon would quite often say that she wished that she lived with her father and in Shannon's bedroom under some wallpaper that had peeled off. She'd actually wrote on the wall, I want to live with my dad. And it's just like at this point, just let Shannon live with her dad. I know why Karen didn't let Shannon live with her dad because she wanted money. If Shannon left the house, obviously Karen's benefits would go down. But eventually Shannon actually did stop having contact with her dad. Karen actually stopped the contact because Leon had stopped paying child support. And it wasn't just Shannon's life at home that was pretty miserable. Her school life wasn't that much better either. Shannon actually really struggled in school. She really struggled to concentrate. But not only this, because Karen never cleaned the children's clothes, the children never really had showers, baths or anything like that, Shannon would often go to school in dirty clothing. She would be dirty and she would actually smell and kids are mean and Shannon would also be quite badly bullied. So Shannon had to endure these conditions for quite a while. However, on February 19th, 2008, when Shannon was just nine years old, she went missing. The morning of the 19th of February was just like any other morning. Shannon had gone to school. She was actually really looking forward to going to school because she had some swimming lessons and Shannon had gone to school. She had gone to her swimming lessons. Then the school bus returned from the swimming lessons at around 10 past three in the afternoon and Shannon was seen leaving the school bus. Now, every day she did the same thing. She walked home on her own and she would normally get home around half three. However, on this day, Shannon didn't return home. Both Karen and Craig, they were both home at this time. Craig had actually had the day off because he wasn't feeling too well, but it wasn't actually until 4 p.m. 
Half an hour after she was supposed to be back. Now Shannon returned home at the same time every single day, half three. So why did it take you half an hour, Karen, to notice that she wasn't home? And actually, it wasn't even Karen that noticed that Shannon wasn't at home. It was Craig. Karen does go around to the neighbor's house and asks like, have you seen Shannon? Where is she? She phones around a load of people. She phones Shannon's school, but no one has seen her. And the school just said that they saw her get off the bus and leave like she would normally do. And Karen continues on phoning pretty much everyone she knows, anyone that Shannon could know to see if anyone knew where she was. And then Karen eventually, emphasis on the word eventually, phones the police at 6.48 p.m. Now this is like over three hours, but three hours since Karen noticed that Shannon has been missing. Why the hell has it taken you so long? And I don't know why, but no one seemed to ask that question. And the police arrive pretty quickly at the house. I mean, of course they would, it's a missing child. And they also know that they've got to act quickly because the first 24 hours when a child goes missing is crucial. They start by asking the usual questions like, when did you last see Shannon? What mood was she in when you did last see her? Could she have potentially run away? Has she run away before? Were there any arguments? And Karen just says that she has no idea why this could have happened. There's no reason that she can think of. <laughs> I mean, I could think of a few. And she says that the last time she saw Shannon was at the breakfast table that morning where they always all sat down for breakfast together. And the last thing that she said to Shannon was, I love you, something like that. Goodbye, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And when Karen is saying this to the police, the police look over to the dining table, which is full of clutter, like way too much clutter that maybe could have naturally occurred through the day. And they thought there is no way anyone sat down for breakfast at that dining table that morning. And this was the first of many warnings that the investigators had over Karen during the search for Shannon. So by the next morning, there was still no sign of Shannon. And by this time as well, word had spread around the community. And this is when Karen's friend, Julie Bushby, launches her big campaign to try and find Shannon. Julie was the chair of the Moorside Estates Tenant Association. And given that she was pretty involved in the community, so she had quite a lot of connections. She knew a lot of people. She also lived relatively near to Karen and was a good friend to Karen. So of course she wanted to help out and Julie took it upon herself to organize many community searches for Shannon. Right, can you just come in so they can tell you where to search? Family, friends and neighbors trawling the streets for any sign of the nine-year-old. Julie really rallied the community together to try and find Shannon. She got so many people to volunteer, to help search, to raise awareness, to hand out leaflets and everything. And there was also huge effort from the police. This whole investigation was huge. It was actually the biggest operation in Yorkshire since the Yorkshire Ripper. And during their search for Shannon, the police searched 3,000 homes and they stopped 1,500 motorists to ask questions, to try and gather clues on maybe where Shannon could be. Police also investigated, I think every single pedophile in the area. There was a total of 1,387 sex offenders within a 20 mile radius of Shannon's house. And the homes of all of those registered sex offenders were also searched. The search for Shannon also gained a lot of media attention, both in the news and in the newspapers. And newspapers like The Sun 
were starting to offer money rewards for anybody that had any information about Shannon. The disappearance of Shannon, like I said in the beginning of the video, happened not even a year after the disappearance of Madeline McCann. People did comment that Shannon wasn't receiving as much media attention as Madeline did. And they said it was because Shannon came from a poorer background. Her parents weren't doctors like the McCanns were. And also the fact that she didn't have blonde hair. She did have blue eyes, but a lot of people were like, oh, well, she's not a blonde haired, blue eyed little girl. It's also been said that Karen at the time would also compare herself to Kate McCann. She would almost feel like she's in competition with Kate. And it's just like, there's no competition. Your daughters have gone missing. There's no competition. Karen kind of took it on herself to try and get as much attention as the McCanns to compete almost. Shannon, if you're out there, please, darling, come home. I love you so much. Me and your dad, your brothers, your sisters, everybody loves you. Your dad's missing you so much, Shannon. He's even out looking for you. Please come home, Shannon. If you're out there, come home. If anybody's got my daughter, my beautiful princess daughter, please bring her home safe. The attention that Karen wanted wasn't always for Shannon, though. It was for herself. So while the search is going on, the police continue to question the family and friends of Shannon. And the more time the police spent with Karen, especially, the more they just noticed her weird behaviour. I mean, no one can say what the right way to react is in a situation like this. But Karen's behavior was definitely odd. There was actually a TV drama called The Moor Side that was on the BBC. And if you can watch it, you definitely should. It was such a good drama, but it's also pretty accurate as well. Some of these dramas, they're not always accurate, but this one was really accurate. And you can see just how bizarre Karen's behavior is in that. She was always laughing and joking. And I realized that you need to stay positive in situations like this but her mood would suddenly change as soon as there were any cameras on her. Suddenly she would turn on being distressed and sad. Whenever the news would talk about Shannon and Shannon's picture would come up on the TV, Karen would point at the TV and say things like, oh, look, Shannon's a star, she's famous. And Karen, of course, also loved seeing her own face on the news. Now, like I said, the whole community was really rallying around Karen and lots of people were helping out in many different different ways. Now the man that ran the local chip shop was actually giving Karen free food quite often. And one time when Karen was in there getting free food, she said to the local chippy man, oh, I'll have to have one of my children go missing more often. I think we all know where this case is going. It's like, why are you not even trying to hide it? There was also a time where the police officers were like, when they were in the house, in Karen's house, one of their phones started ringing and their ringtone was a song. And as soon as the phone started ringing, Karen literally jumped up and started dancing to the ringtone. What are you looking at me like that for? Hello. Who does that?
So the search for Shannon continues and it's been going on now for about two weeks. And at this point, the police are starting to think that they're probably not gonna find Shannon alive. And also the public interest had started to die down. Shannon wasn't appearing so much on the news and in the newspapers. However, Julie, remember Julie, she does not give up. She continues to rally the community around. She's determined to find Shannon. And she also pushes the police as well to not give up. However, not every single one of Karen's friends is on Karen's side. Karen's neighbor and also friend, Natalie, starts to become quite suspicious of Karen. Like the police, she just thinks that Karen is acting very weirdly and she knows Karen as well. She knows Karen's behavior. So the fact that even she thinks that Karen is acting weirdly and almost out of character, says a lot. She just kept noticing that when the cameras weren't off, Karen didn't even seem remotely upset about her daughter being missing. So it's like, even if you are acting bizarrely, dancing to ringtones, laughing, joking all the time, you would still be upset at times about your daughter. Everyone copes differently. I mean, I'm sure there were other people that were also suspicious of Karen, but no one, I can understand, no one actually wanted to accuse her of anything, but Natalie was pretty vocal. She started to accuse Karen of just like not caring about Shannon at all. And this just started to cause quite a lot of tension between Natalie, between Karen, and between the wider community. And this is when Karen decided that something more needed to be done to bring the attention back onto the case. So she decided to hold a press conference and make a public appeal for anyone to come forward if they have any information. It helps a lot, really, because if there's is somebody out there who's actually got Shannon and they've seen this poster, then please contact the police. So Karen goes on TV, she makes this public appeal. Then during the press conference, Karen actually reveals some information that she hasn't said to anyone. She says to the public that she thinks that Shannon has been abducted by someone she knows. Now, this is the first time the police are hearing about this. It's like if you suspect this, why haven't you told the police so the police can look further into some of the people that you know? And during Karen's press conference, she started to hold a teddy. And this is just so similar to what Kate McCann did. And people have actually commented that they think that Karen was just copying Kate. Now in the press conference, Karen made out that that was Shannon's favorite teddy. So before the press conference, Karen comes down the stairs holding this teddy and Natalie is downstairs and she says to Karen, oh, is that Shannon's teddy? And Karen went, I don't know. I don't even know if this teddy's Shannon's. And then one of the reporters in the press conference actually asks Karen, oh, what's the teddy's name? And you can see Karen, she's scrambling for an answer. The teddy, what did she call the teddy? I don't know, she just, she just calls it with love teddy, that's it. And then she answers and says that the teddy's name is with love teddy because the teddy has a t-shirt on that says with love. It, it's like, who's gonna believe that that is what a child called a teddy? A bit baffled really because Teddy didn't have a name. Every kid's teddy's got a name. We found out later that it wasn't actually a teddy. But regardless of all of this weird behavior in the press conference, a lot of people actually bought into Karen. And whilst we're comparing Karen Matthews to Kate McCann, I actually read that a lot more people believed Karen Matthews in her press conference over Kate McCann. And the reasoning behind why a lot of people believed Karen is because the way she looked and the way she dressed, because she wore baggy, shapeless clothes. And Kate McCann wore tighter clothes. Why is it that a woman is always judged by what she's wearing? <laughs> 
When will we ever move away from that? So after the press conference, Karen continues to act suspiciously. But according to a lot of people around her, she is loving all of this attention she's getting. She absolutely loved getting in front of the cameras, even when she was advised not to, because the police wanted to control what the media knew. They didn't want anything to be leaked that could be harmful to the case. But pretty much everything that Karen did was to make herself look good and to just get on camera. And about a week after the press conference and Shannon has been missing for about three weeks at this point, the Sun newspaper upped their reward to £50,000. And Karen was over the moon with this. And she wasn't happy about this in the right way. She wasn't like, oh, I really hope that this large amount of money will help find my daughter. No, it had everything to do with the attention that she was getting and that she finally felt like she was competing and on the same level as the McCanns. Karen even arranged for a TV channel, Channel 4, to film her in her house, her family and everything when the search was going on. It was like a reality TV show. I've seen some of this program. Karen Matthews has seven kids by five three fathers. She lives in a scruffy council house and a improvished council estate near Leeds. Okay. Not Shannon's teddy. So we're holding her teddy then. Or maybe just cuddling you two. Just cuddling you two, playing with her. Then... Shannon's teddy's staying where it is, and that's where I want to stay now before she comes home. That's been, been out enough, has it? Yeah. Do you mind if we take a picture of the dog? Take Is that all right? This TV crew were filming her pretty much constantly in the daytime hours. It's it's like, who agrees that? And why was this not a warning sign? Why was this not a red flag to anyone? So because in the press conference, Karen revealed that she has a suspicion that Shannon was abducted by someone she knew. The police obviously have already been looking into the family, but they've been looking into the family a little bit more and they finally make a breakthrough. They get a tip about someone in Craig's family. And this was Craig's uncle. And this uncle had gone off of the radar since Shannon had gone missing. No one had seen or heard from him. And this was just very suspicious. And the police literally before this tip had no idea this man even existed and the police just find this so suspicious because it's like why the hell has no one mentioned this uncle so the police go and ask Karen about this uncle and she flat out lies to them she says that she has no idea who this man is however it actually comes out that Karen knows exactly who this man is and family members had actually spotted Karen and this man together at a family event. Karen was actually sitting on this man's lap and family members suspected that Karen and this uncle were a little bit too friendly, if you know what I mean. So of course the police start investigating this uncle and this man's name is Michael Donovan. And Michael was also born in Dewsbury and he had lived there his whole life. And his birth name was actually Paul Drake, but he legally changed his name to Michael Donovan, which was after one of his favorite characters in a sci-fi TV program. Now Michael had learning difficulties and his IQ was about half of the average IQ. And the police also found out that 
Michael had quite an extensive criminal record and had been convicted of things such as shoplifting and arson. Michael had also had problems with drugs in the past and at one point in his life he did live with his two daughters but I don't know why but for some reason they were taken off him and placed in care. The police also found out something pretty significant and that was that Michael had been charged with child abduction before. Mm -hmm. And that is because he picked up one of his daughters from school, sound familiar? And he was forbidden from doing this. There was a court order saying that he could have no contact with his daughter, but he picked her up anyway. And then he took her to a hotel under a fake name. And then the police eventually found them three days later. But once the police find out this, they realize that, oh my God, this could be the man that has Shannon. We need to go and investigate him. So the police go to Michael's flat, which is also in Dewsbury. They knock on the door, but there is no answer. So the police because of what they know, they realize that they can't mess around here. They can't wait for him to maybe return home and they break down the door. And when the police first enter the flat, they find the flat in a pretty bad state. It's a mess, it's not clean, there's just things everywhere. But Michael is nowhere to be found. And the police start searching the flat and they go into one of the bedrooms and they start to hear a faint noise coming from underneath a box bed. And then all of a sudden, a girl starts to climb out from under the bed and it was Shannon Matthews. Thankfully, the police had found her alive. And once Shannon is out of the bed, the police ask her, where's Michael? Where is the man that lives here? And Shannon just points to the bed and she says, he's under there. So the police look under the box bed and what do you know, Michael is there. The police ask him to come out, but he refuses. So the police literally have to manhandle him out from under the bed. He does not come quietly. They literally take him kicking and screaming and arrest him and take him in for questioning. So after a total of 24 days being missing, Shannon Matthews is found, she's found alive and she is taken to a safe place by the police. So once Shannon is back at the police station, they inform Karen, we found your daughter, expecting this to be good news, like you would for anyone. They were expecting Karen to be happy about this. But this is not the response they got. So Karen is taken to the same police station where Shannon is. And she gets to see Shannon through a divider because she's not actually allowed to be in the same room as Shannon right now because of the investigation. And Karen shows zero emotion. It's like she's not even looking at her daughter, let alone a daughter that has been missing for 24 days. Karen just doesn't even seem interested in seeing or speaking to Shannon. What the police thought was so so weird is that she didn't ask any questions. She didn't ask the police, or oh, where did you find her? What happened? Who did this? How is Shannon? Like, how is she? Is she hurt in any way? She didn't ask any questions. But this isn't the only absolutely shocking thing that happened. So Michael Donovan is now in the police station and obviously he's being questioned. And Michael tells the police that he wasn't even the one that concocted this plan to abduct Shannon Matthews. It was actually none other than Karen Matthews. Yes, Shannon Matthews' own mother 
planned all of this. So the police put this to Karen and she flat out denies it. And at this particular point, the police may have their suspicions of Karen because of all of her weird behavior, but they have no evidence that Karen is involved in any way. So at this point, they do have to release Karen. So whilst all of this is happening at the police station, word does get back to the community that Shannon has been found. And the community just erupt in celebration. There's fireworks, they even have a street party. Like everyone is so overjoyed, literally the complete opposite to Karen. However, this didn't last for long because after a few days of Shannon being found, the community are starting to become a little bit suspicious because Shannon still isn't home. And the community is like, why isn't Shannon at home? Like what is going on? And the community are starting to become suspicious of Karen because the police keep dragging her in for questioning. Something else that the people around Karen noticed was that Karen seemed to be more miserable right now than when her daughter was missing. And it was actually Julie and Natalie that started to become suspicious of Karen and started to think, like, was she involved in some kind of way? And then it wasn't long after Shannon was found that Craig, Karen's boyfriend, was arrested. Now, obviously when Shannon went missing, Karen's house was searched and a lot of things were seized. And one of the items that were seized was Craig's computer. And on that computer, the police found indecent images of children. And naturally this got out to the community and this only fueled suspicion that Karen and now Craig were both involved in the abduction of Shannon. And Julie and Natalie now are really suspicious now that Craig has been arrested and both of them really wanna to get to the truth. Julie, especially because she put in so much work, so much effort, she literally dedicated her life for those 24 days to finding Shannon and she just almost felt betrayed. I mean, anyone would. So Julie and Natalie work with the police to try and get the truth out of Karen, whatever the truth may be. And because they keep pushing and pushing, Karen does crack and she does confess. And she says, it's true. I was involved the whole time. And it was at this point that Karen was arrested and charged with child neglect and also perverting the course of justice. So now that Karen and Michael are arrested, they wanna to get to the truth of what actually happened. And Michael's story is that shortly after that event where they both were, where Karen was sat on his lap, Karen approached him and said that she wanted to talk to him about something. Karen had said to Michael that she had a plan to make them both some money and that was to kidnap one of her children. So the original plan was once the child had been reported as missing, the reward would keep rising and rising because the child would be gone for quite a long time. And once the reward had gotten to clearly their target number, which in the case of Karen Matthews was 50,000 pounds. So then they would take the child, obviously in this case, Shannon to a public place, make sure that there is CCTV around so the CCTV could capture Michael finding Shannon, he would return Shannon and then he would get the 50,000 pounds and then that would be split between Karen and Michael. And I even read that the original plan wasn't even to involve Shannon. It was to involve one of Shannon's brothers but then Karen had the idea that Shannon, because she's a girl, she would get more money. But that is why Shannon was chosen as the child to be fake abducted. And if Karen thought that she got a lot of attention before, she was not gonna know what hit her. And it wasn't long until pretty much the whole media started referring to Karen as the worst mom in the UK, which in my opinion, I feel like Rose West probably takes that title, but uh, Karen Matthews is pretty bad. So because Karen pled not guilty to these charges, she did go to trial 
and just even more shocking things came out at trial. The conditions that Shannon was kept in was revealed and they're just absolutely horrific. Whilst Shannon was in captivity, she was given a list of rules that she had to abide by. And these rules said, you must not make any noise or bang your feet. You must not go near the windows. You must not do anything without me being there. Keep the TV volume low and you can play some games, DVDs and CDs. The letter was also signed with IPU and Karen used to say this to Shannon when she was at home and it essentially means I promise you something bad will happen if you don't do what you're told. And Shannon actually did follow these rules because no one knew she was in this flat. The neighbor underneath Michael did hear small footsteps like a couple of times but other than that like nothing. And this next bit is just, oh, it's horrible. So when Michael wasn't in the flat, he would tie Shannon up to restrict her movements. He basically created a leash out of this like big elastic strap and he attached the strap to the ceiling and the strap only allowed Shannon to move between the bedroom and the bathroom. There was also a dog collar and a chain found in the room where Shannon was. Also, Shannon was drugged the whole time she was in captivity. This was to keep her sedated and compliant. And she was given the drug Timazepam. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that drug is used to treat insomnia. But it was also found that Shannon wasn't just given this drug while she was in captivity. Shannon had also been forced to take this drug for two years prior to this abduction. And this was to keep Shannon compliant at home. And what just makes it so sick is that the conditions that Shannon was in were obviously horrendous, but Shannon has said that the conditions that she was in when she was being held captive were better than the conditions that she was in at home. So obviously we know a little bit of what the conditions were like at home, but clearly they were worse. God knows how bad they actually were. When the police searched the flat where Shannon was, letters were found in Shannon's handwriting. She was given some paper and pen, and she wrote letters to her brother saying how much she missed him, how she wants to see him again. Hopefully she'll get to see him soon. Hopefully Michael will take her to see him. And she wrote quite a few of these letters. She didn't write one letter to her mom. Throughout the trial, Michael and Karen basically just tried to blame each other. They weren't taking responsibility for anything. And it was difficult to get the truth out of them. And to be honest, we still don't really know the truth today. Essentially, they both just felt really sorry for themselves and they both kept making out as if they were the victim. Aaron would just flip-flop all over the place and just say different stories all the time. She would never stick to one. One story is that she would blame the whole thing on Michael. She would say that it was Michael's idea. The next story, she would say that others were involved, like it wasn't just her and Michael, there was other people. But not one of her stories involved Karen taking any responsibility. And Michael didn't take responsibility either. He just said that he was just following Karen's orders. It is thought, and I feel like we can all quite confidently say that Karen's main motivation was money. She wanted that 50,000 pound reward money. She wanted to go on holiday. She wanted to buy all of this stuff for herself. But it's also thought that she wanted the spotlight as well. She really enjoyed the spotlight and she milked every single bit of it. And like I said, the money was the main motivation. I don't think attention seeking was the motivation before it happened. But then when Shannon did get abducted and then Karen realized the attention she was getting, I think right there and then it turned into a motivation as well. And although this didn't come up at trial, I did find this interesting. But it is rumored that Karen got the idea for the fake abduction from Shameless. 
the TV program. Literally just before Shannon was abducted, there was a shameless episode where a child was also fake abducted for reward money. And it's thought that Karen saw that and that is how she came up with the plan. So at the end of the trial, Karen was found guilty of all charges, which was kidnap, false imprisonment and perverting the course of justice. But you wouldn't believe her sentence. I mean, she was found guilty of three pretty serious offenses and she only got eight years. And also she was ordered to attend a six week parenting course. I don't think that is gonna help. Michael was also found guilty of these offenses as well. And again, he was only sentenced to eight years. Craig, by the way, remember they found indecent child images on his computer. He was found guilty of that. And he was sentenced to 20 weeks, 20 weeks. I'm sorry, but <laughs> these sentences are ridiculous. So Karen has continued on and tried to defend herself and tried to say that she was innocent. And Karen actually came out and said that she's not Britain's worst mother because Shannon didn't die. How does that make sense? Karen has also implied, and she did apply this through the trial, but she has continued to imply that there is more people involved, but she won't give up any names because apparently she's too scared. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if there was more people involved. A lot of people do keep saying that Karen lacks the intelligence of being able to pull this off. But I don't know if I believe that. I mean, I'm not saying that she's the brightest bulb in the box because let's be honest, the plan wasn't the best. However, Karen was able to fool everyone around her. She was able to fool the media, the police, pretty much the whole community. There was only a handful of people that were suspicious of Karen. Karen actually only ended up serving four years of her eight year sentence. Now do you understand why this case infuriates me? I mean, the whole thing infuriates me, but the fact that she only served four years. She was released in April of 2012. So yeah, she's been out for nine years already. Nine years she's had freedom. And this just really infuriates me because one of the offenses that she was found guilty of which was perverting the course of justice holds a maximum sentence of life in prison and she got found guilty of that plus other two offenses and they weren't just little offenses either no she arranged for her child to be abducted also the child neglect and abuse that she did how only four years four years and i don't quite know how long michael served either but i don't think he served much longer i actually think he served less time than karen yeah neither one of them really served enough time karen especially and karen continues to this day to seek the spotlight. She does regularly appear in the newspapers. There was actually a recent story about Karen and the fact that she has entered into a new relationship with a convicted pedophile and they want to have a baby together. Thankfully, hopefully, I don't think this will happen because she wants to have a surrogate pregnancy and there is very strict rules around surrogacy in the UK and hopefully, this won't be allowed. Shannon was rehomed after this absolute terrible ordeal. She was given a new identity and she has never had contact with Karen since. Shannon today would be in her early 20s and I just hope she's doing okay as well as one can do after an ordeal like this. I can't even imagine what it would be like for Shannon, especially seeing her mom still to this day constantly seeking attention. And also the fact that Karen has never apologized. She's never shown any remorse. And my thoughts really are with Shannon. I really hope that she is thriving and doing well.
And that brings us to the end of the episode on Karen Matthews. And I bet you're all infuriated, aren't you? Like I am. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.